Tom, I'm getting angry over here. I'm getting angry. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why don't points matter here? Why don't head-to-heads or common opponents matter here? I don't know, Zach. (laughs) I don't know. At this point, I just don't know. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Tom are on the mics to set you up for the final weekend of OUA football in the regular season. And Tom, can you remember a more exciting slate of games based on matchups and playoff scenarios coming down to the final weekend in in recent memory? No, I really can't. Uh, The insanity of the OUA is that with certain... Uh, things being hit, certain point differentials and people winning here and losing here and whatever else. You can have somebody who could be ranked number three all the way up to number one, somebody ranked at number, what, six or seven or even five, losing out in the the playoffs right now. So there's a whole lot of disparity that could happen with whatever happens in this last week of the season. And in my opinion, that makes for the best kind of OUA final uh, weeks in the regular season. And in some regards, as much as we bellyache about all the games being at the same time, there's something that's like incredibly exciting about that, where these games are going to be happening simultaneously. Like there's something cool when like the one finishes and so, you know, okay, the outcome of this game, da 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 now, but like this is going to, OUA Twitter is going to be knuck and futz uh, come about like three o'clock on Saturday. Um, <laughs> you know, if, and if you've been, and I, 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 I over these years, uh, recording podcasts for four years and change, I haven't always been the kindest to to the OUA for a number of reasons. And if and if you've been following us as the longest current running uh, podcast in OUA football, you've probably heard me and Nate, or me and Dakota, or if you're a real true uh, fan from way back, me and Eddie Meredith go through playoff scenarios based on the OUA football's own constitution, if you will, to determine outcomes. And I definitely remember uh, me and Eddie really just going bonkers trying to figure these out i need to give a big shout out to the oua for earlier this week releasing a document um or an an, an article a blog on their website breaking down the 32 potential playoff scenarios that uh we have at hand here tom um not only do you get to uh, hold the title of being the more handsome uh, podcaster of the two of us, but you are also uh, by and far the smarter podcaster as well. So I give you the floor to to break down, you know, like we said, 32 possible scenarios. We're not going to take the whole podcast going through those, but some of those are a bit more important than others. And uh, let me sort of pass you the mic to sort of go through the ones that stood out the most to you for, for those uh, listening. Yeah, well, first and foremost, in what in what universe am I better looking and smarter than you, you beautiful man? But, I'm just going to uh, edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you said, we'll go through a few of the scenarios here. I think the most exciting parts are at the top and not the bottom because that's really where everybody wants to kind of look who's going to finish first and who's going to make the playoffs. So with this matchup, Western and Ottawa, if there's mm. certain – scenarios that are hit with this we could see the ponies lose out their first round by and ottawa take that over now lots of things need to come into play here specifically ottawa needs to beat western by more than 17 points for the point differential when that works out otherwise if western wins or if they lose but stay within that 17 point that uh, differential, they still retain first place. So this is a very big ask for these GGs. However, if you can find a way, if you can get that done, you and I were kind of talking about it beforehand. It is damn near impossible to beat the ponies twice in one year, let alone once, especially with the, the offense that they kind of have this year. But if you can do it and you can make them play the second game at home with home field advantage in Ottawa, May I throw a may I throw a flag on the field? Quickly? Sure. Now, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves because there's obviously a scenario where we end up with three three and one teams. If the scenario you just painted comes to fruition, regardless of the score differential, but Ottawa beats Western, and then also simultaneously Queens handles their business and beats Laurier. We have three seven one teams. 
in said situation, we'd have a, a scenario where Western will have beaten Queens, Queens will have beaten Ottawa, then Ottawa will have beaten Western. And I can understand in that universe why you then have to turn to things like point differential or common opponents to determine who stacks higher amongst the rest. In the universe, which is, and we'll get to it when we break down these, actually break down these games, in which let's say Ottawa wins and Laurier wins, so we have two seven and one teams and two six and two teams. Why do we do need to do a point differential between Ottawa and Western if Ottawa would have straight up beat them in a head to head, and there's no other team with the same record to you know create a weird circle of I beat you but you beat them and they beat us type situation? Do you have a sense of why they're going right to points against even in a situation or point point, point differential in a situation? Where it could just be, hey, they have the same record. No one else has the same record as the, those two teams. And Ottawa just beat them. So why wouldn't Ottawa be the first-ranked team? Do you, Whether it's the OUA-specific ruling on that or just why that would be the case. And sorry to put you on the spot a bit. But that kind of blows my mind. It kind of took the wind out of my sails going into this game a bit. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with you. I don't really understand why that that's the case if it's a point differential. I understand that. I guess in order to try to keep it fair, because not every scenario is going to work out that way where you might have a, like, maybe it's not a seven and one team or seven and one team, maybe it's six and two and six and two or whatever. It just happens to work out perfectly right now, where if Ottawa were to win and have that extra win over Western, it would make sense for them to be the number one seed outright, but with point differentials and, uh, quite honestly, the way that the GGs have been scoring every, or sorry, the uh, Mustangs have been scoring in every single game by uh, what their lowest scoring was 50 points or something like that. Uh, that makes it a lot to, I guess, kind of get over the top with that, but it's certainly less sexy to say, yeah, you can still win, but you need to do a point differential and things like that, rather than just say, beat the number one team in, in the uh, conference and you get the number one spot in the playoffs. Well, because hearkening back to 2015, Guelph, we weren't, we didn't play Western that regular season. So, you know, and, and I always go back to the interview we did with Greg Brand, uh, Tyler Ternowski, and Gordon Lamb at Waterloo, uh, Dakota and I in the offseason walkthrough tour in early 2020, where they were sort of hearkening back to a 2015 game opened that season where at Guelph, we not only beat waterloo in week one but we beat them you know put up a, a bit of a crooked number on them and that while they may have still felt a certain way about that and chris bertoya in his first season has co as head coach maybe you know kept that in the back of his mind the reason was hey us and western weren't going to play each other in the regular season we were both somewhat on a collision course to go undefeated uh thanks to nate hobbs that didn't quite happen um <laughs> so points really mattered in that case but i don't know i i, I don't want i don't want to feed a dead horse on this on on this matter it, it is what it is obviously i just as you said it's just not as sexy when we just clearly have hey they just beat you and you have the same record anyways uh, we'll get we'll i'll probably talk about that a bit more when we get into that matchup <laughs> yeah. um I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna hush up for right now yeah no all all good we'll definitely dive a, a little bit deeper into that but that's kind of how the top uh, shakes out right now. If Western wins, they obviously retain first place. If Ottawa beats Western and it's less than six, 17 points, Western still retains first place. If Ottawa can beat Western by more than 17 points, then Ottawa takes first place. So that's a very big ask for these GGs. But if you're ever going to beat a Western Mustang team, you are best to try to do it with home field advantage because the ponies are very difficult to beat and especially in their own backyard. Now going to the bottom of the OUA playoff race here. Oh, I like that from top to bottom. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> now looking at this McMaster Toronto game, hmm. it's essentially winning you're in. These two teams are fighting back and forth pretty hard. If whoever wins can get in. However, there is a small little change in here. If somehow, some way, the Windsor Lancers lose, doesn't matter who wins Toronto versus McMaster, both Toronto and Mac will get into the playoffs while the Windsor Lancers slide out of it. That's once again, goes back to your point differentials and head to heads and everything else. So Windsor wins and either Toronto or Mac wins, whoever's the winner of that game will get in with a Windsor loss. Both McMaster and Toronto are into the playoffs. 
Can I throw another flag on the field? Sure, go ahead. Are JP Ciselli and co. not saying, we beat U of T by 30 points? What the F? Yeah, I would I would certainly say so. Um, so the way that it's broken down here, and I'll, I'll read this word for word because <laughs> OUA does a very good job of explaining this. Sure. Should the Lancers join the Marauders and the Blues with three and five marks, Toronto would wind up with a number six seed after funneling down to teams' records and games against common opponents. This scenario then leaves Windsor and McMaster competing for the final spot, which would ultimately leave Windsor on the outside looking in as a result of McMaster's win against Waterloo in Week 4 and Windsor's loss to the Black and Gold in Week 9 if they were to lose. Can I throw another flag on the field? (laughs) Yes, go ahead. Wait, I'm going to quick scan through the season just to make sure I'm not nuts on this um okay the waterloo piece sure that makes sense but let's go back two weeks windsor beat york tom remind me did the mcmaster marauders beat the york Lions this year because i believe york finished up one and seven hmm (sighs) yes you're technically right technically right huh huh gord grace let's get you on the phone let's get you on the phone gord what do you got to say about this one because Mac technically lost to York and Windsor very much technically and in the world of real things beat York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very interesting as well. Um, although York I Lions, guess it's it's technically... York Lions playing spoiler, spoiler from the grave. Sorry. <laughs> I uh, It might be worth saying then that with that technical loss, McMaster technically lost one nothing, so the points themselves that doesn't one. really factor into that. I don't know if that kind of plays into that at all either. But with one one nothing loss, it may not really matter all that much. Hey, who knows? Maybe Windsor will lose to Waterloo one nothing. We don't know yet. But anyways, I'm sorry. I'm gonna hush <laughs> up again. Oh goodness! So yeah, that's that's a a brief look at the top and the bottom of the OUA race right now. There's a whole lot of different movement that could happen in the middle as well, but. Regardless, most of those teams are, well, all of those teams are guaranteed to be in no matter what happens with Queens and Laurier or whatever else. All of those teams are in right now. It's really a race to see if Ottawa can finish at number one and who's going to be the odd man looking in at the end of this week. The last thing I need to say on this, and I'm looking, you and I are looking at the same document. And like we, we have five games to get into. We're already minutes into this podcast beyond probably what we want to do. That's okay. The podcast goes where it needs to go, not where we want to go. In the paragraph or in the section bolded as six win scenarios could see Golden Hawk soar. Beautiful imagery there. Love it. Great job by the editor. In a situation, I'm quoting, in a situation that sees Queens and Wilfred Laurier as the lone combatants to finish with a 6-2 record following their matchup in Week 9. So this assumes Ottawa beats Western, right? So the lone combatants to finish 6-2. The Hawks would soar about, well, you know, I got to throw the editor under the bus because it says soar about the gales. They probably meant to write soar above the gales. Soar above the gales. As a result of that head-to-head victory. So if that's the effing case, then why would Ottawa not also soar above the Western Mustangs in the exact same scenario, in which case they would be beating them in a week nine head-to-head? Tom, I'm getting angry over here. I'm getting angry. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why don't points matter here? Why don't head-to-heads or common opponents matter here? I don't know, Zach. (laughs) I don't know. At this point, I just don't know. I was really happy to talk about the top and the bottom, but you're bringing up all the mess in the middle, and now everything's getting confusing. You are absolutely right, though, to to bring up that question. I have no idea why a head-to-head matters with Laurier and Queens, and it doesn't with Toronto and Western. That makes zero sense to me. I'm going to take this opportunity to take on the challenge given to us by uh, one of our good Twitter friends and say that there is a dearth of logic in these (laughs) OUA playoff 
scenarios? There is certainly a dearth of logic. Let's say dearth one more time. Okay. Um, and shout out to Ken Waller. Um, let's get into these matchups. <laughs> oh, this is why we need an advertiser, just so I can like be like, oh, today's episode brought to you by while I'm <laughs> sipping a cup of tea to bring myself down from this insanity. First matchup, the Western Mustangs visiting the Ottawa GGs. Maybe you heard about them. They're playing this weekend. I thought it was a more meaningful game than it turns out it is. About 30 minutes ago, spoiler, I had the Ottawa GGs taking this victory at home. I've changed my mind on that. I guess I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in terms of who I like in this pick. But this is the thing, is that because there's only the one bye week and because we are in a situation where unfortunately now certain things, wins and losses have different meaning in some of these games, you know, what the quality of a game these opponents might be bringing to the table may be different. So if I can quickly just go on a slight tangent, um, as if I've been doing anything different this whole time, um, I envisioned a world, as you said, to beat Western twice in a year is to beat Western in once is, is near impossible to do so twice. I mean, you're kidding yourself. And so that's why I was thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe Ottawa doesn't want to, you know, pull all the rabbits out of the hats, tricks out of their sleeves in just the attempt of beating them in this game. Cause if you, if you can only beat them once, Hey, you know what? Make your way to a Yates cup with them and beat them there. But, of course, there being London, and as you said, if you're going to beat them anywhere, it's likely not in London. Even though in the last decade, Western's dropped two eights cups in London. Anyways, put that aside for right now. Um, so but then my thinking was, okay, so you, you really don't want to play them in London. Okay, so then you want to play them in Ottawa. So then you know what? Actually pull out all the stops to beat them in this game and get that first week by. So that they have to come back and play you again in Ottawa in a Yates Cup final. And I very much believe that this Ottawa team is able to beat Western. Particularly at home. But not by 17 points or, or greater. I Obviously we can get into the, the sort of machinations of, of the different matchups of this game. But just that as a starting point. Um... I'll, I'll stop right there. What what are some of your thoughts, whether in sort of the big picture narrative type story with this matchup or in some of the actual on the field stuff? Where do you want to go with this matchup? Well, first and foremost, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, the Yates Cup about in London, because it's been more than twice. I'm just kind of rolling through it in my head. 2011 with McMaster, 2015 with Guelph. 2016 with Laurier. Oh, it's been way more than. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. And 2019 with McMaster. Yeah. So it's not been a sure thing when Western gets the Yates Cup at home. Certainly not. But at the very least, uh, the reason why there's such, we have so much data here is because Western goes to the Yates Cup a lot. And a lot of times that Yates Cup is played in London for a specific reason. These ponies are very good. Now, I understand uh, Ottawa is a hell of a team. They've really picked up some solid momentum and things. This is one of those rare scenarios. I don't agree with you, Zach. I think even on Ottawa's best day and on Western's best day, Western wins this game. Mm. I think... At home, with the ponies being who they are, I think they they would win this game outright, no matter what the point differential is, no matter what. Greg Marshall is not one to allow his teams to play down to a team when they're not playing good, and certainly to a team that is very good, these ponies get up and they're excited and everything else. Last week, at picking at straws, I challenged the Western Mustangs, specifically Evan Hillock, to see if he could get a little bit more. Well, 17 for 25, 299 yards and two touchdowns later, I think the kid's starting to get a little warmed up behind those monstrous offensive linemen that he has, along with Keon Edwards and Edward uh, Winati and doing everything that they're doing here. So just with those three players that I mentioned, I'm thinking that these Western Mustangs are on a roll. They're going to keep going. And strangely enough, funnily enough, even if I am entertaining the idea that Ottawa wins this game, if Ottawa beats Western, 
Western wins the Vanier Cup, no matter what. Because at that point, you have done what I call poke the bear. Western will then have woken up and being like, we were supposed to go undefeated. I don't understand what's happening here. Get pissed off and win the Vanier Cup outright. So that's a hell of a claim. And I understand that. And I can see you with, you're not 100% agreeing with me, but I'm telling you, these Western Mustangs are damn good. And even if Ottawa does get the win, you've just poked the bear and uh, they'll come back roaring. No, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. Aside from the fact that I do think, I, I mean, I don't know if you're outright saying that. Well, I, I know you're not saying that there isn't a possibility Ottawa can beat Western. I know you, that you obviously think that could happen. Um, sure. Everything with everything else you said, I mean, I do agree. That's partly why my initial take on this game, and which was, I think, Ottawa, whatever that sort of like break glass in case of emergency game plan that you need to take out to beat the champs um my first thought was you know what they're not going to bring that out for a regular season game but then once again my thinking was but if you're gonna beat them if you have to beat them twice you want both matchups to be at home so you know break that glass now and just hope for the best come that yates cup in ottawa since we're not going to get that by any circumstances because i'm sorry i love you ggs thoroughly despite some of our preseason predictions but Maybe they're not. I'm assuming they're not breaking that glass now, because I don't think anywhere in that manual is. Oh, and by the way, here's how you not only beat them by, but beat them by three majors. So, or you know, you know what I mean. Um, so that's tough. And, and you know what? Like, I Ben Miracle we didn't see last week uh, against York. My suspicion. Because I don't remember seeing him get injured against Carlton, and then they had the bye week. Is that maybe they're just keeping him on ice um, and thinking that, hey, you know what? Let's and maybe quite literally being like, hey, we might need some big bombs from Ben Miracle to beat Western, and, and you know what? Let's just keep him. Whatever. I mean, I don't really love that either because it's like, no, 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 keep them. You know, you get a you get a nice little scrimmage against the York Lions. Like throw them out for a half even if you want to. So I'm still a little iffy about that. Really, I think. And and I don't want to step too much on talking about, you know, the MVP players of the league um, or ca- candidates because you, uh, Nate, and I, um, and possibly a, a mystery guest. I feel like you keep hyping this mystery guest, but it's really it's just, the mystery shouldn't be too mysterious if you, if you really you know put two and two together. Um, next week are going to kind of do our season wrap up after our week nine wrap up with Nate and I. So what? So. Um, one of said candidates and shout out to uh, um, Deshaun and Persevere for kind of already highlighting this, but is one JP Simonkinda. And I think that his performance in this week, win or lose, may very well cement him as said MVP, especially if it results in a win. But even I think in a loss, um, I think this might be the week that he puts his stamp as, you know, top dog, if you will. In the OUA, and you know what? As, as yeah, love Evan Hillock, uh, love what you, you know. As you demonstrated, he was showing last week against Windsor, and he's shown in other games too. I mean, like we, we, he doesn't really need to prove anything. I think it's more of just like, hey, you know what? You're gonna, we're gonna need you in a larger capacity than we have in some of these other games as we get closer to that Vanier. So let's start to get that rolling and make it a more, um, a, a, a more uh, make it a, a larger part of the offense. Um, the, the the strength of this GG's team, I mean, they have so many strengths, at least defensively, is in that secondary. And they have some good people on the in the front seven as well. Absolutely. I mean, James Peters, you know, one of the names that we'll probably have to talk about as well when it comes to defensive players of the year for the OUA. Um, do they have, are, are they as formidable in stopping the run as they are against the pass? Not too sure. So, I mean, this running attack, that offensive line, the way they protect, it's, you know, what... It's a tall task, and I don't know. I we're we're, we're I, I don't know. I Tom, start talking. <laughs> no, I completely agree with everything you're saying here. I think certainly Ottawa's X factor is JP C. McKinda. Uh, that guy, when he gets going, there's just magic seems to happen for Ottawa as well. As soon as he gets really rolling here, that takes pressure off of Ben Miracle, so that he doesn't have to just sit back there and throw in the defense and come back unhinged on him. The one thing that I am a little 
you know, let's let's see how how we kind of go here. Their first matchup against Queens. Queens defense is is very very good. Um, JPC McKinda. Now this was at the beginning of the season, and I'll give them that. But beginning of the season, fifteen attempts, sixty three rushing yards with a long of thirty two. So he mm. broke one. So without that one yard, he's got or that one big run, he's got the whole fourteen attempts for thirty one yards. That's a very no, good defense, and Ben Miracle, you know, he ended up going off for them a little bit and uh, picking up a bit of the slack and whatever else. But Western's got a pretty good defense too. Are they, is he going to be able to break through that? No, definitely. Um, and, and you know, that's a game that had like however many hour delay in the middle of it. So that we might be that maybe one of those games that we look back and like, ah, is it fair to how much do we draw from that? And maybe that just sounds like me making excuses for the GGs. Um, you know, last thing I'll just say again just on the GG side of things, um, best receiving core in the OUA. Um, that's all. Um, shall we move on? Yeah, I think we're both going Western in this one. We're both going both going Western. I have flip-flopped on this a lot. I've, But yeah, going with the ponies. Um, and it's one of those like emotional hedges too where it's like, you know what, if Ottawa pulls it out, it, I, I'll, I'll be beaming. I'll be beaming. That's nothing against Western. I just, I'm loving this 2022 GG's team. Let's go into our four one o'clock games, and we'll start off with uh, Queens visiting Laurier. Uh, another massive matchup. And Tom, I, I need to just pass you the mic quickly. What makes this game particularly special? And why should folks, if they deliberate, are they are deliberating amongst which of these games they're going to be tuning in, should be tuning in at one o'clock to hear uh, the the Laurier broadcast. Well, uh, well, very exciting news. Uh, I have been selected, if you would say. I'm going to be helping call these uh, Laurier Queens game with none other than the fabulous Jack Moore, who is essentially the the voice of all things Laurier Waterloo. Uh, and I'm very, very excited for it. I've worked with Jack before. He is a phenomenal uh, representation of the quality of commentators that we have in the OUA. And I'm very, very excited to be joining him in the booth for this one. This is going to be a great game. And I <laughs> I was apologizing to Tom earlier that when he told me that, I might have gotten more excited than I did when he told me he was getting married. Um, <laughs> once again, I apologize again, but I, that's awesome. That's, that's must watch slash listen to. I always end up watching all these games simultaneously and pick one to have the sound on. There is... Like no doubt in my mind that has a sound on, but it's a Mac home game coming up that we'll talk about afterwards. It's always nice to get Bubba on the commentary as well, and you know, always nice to hear a little Sacramento call coming from the Guelph broadcast. And we've now become friends with our our, our, our friends out in Windsor as well. Love this, love this OUA football community, and I like the folks in Ottawa too. This is great people, great people helping people. But let's get into the football. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> a matchup that has plenty of uh, implications on the line for reasons that. I can't explain. Laurier takes this. They can wrap up that third seed because they'll have won the head-to-head and have the same record. And apparently... Um, and this has been a Queens team that's been super banged up on the defensive side of the ball. And of course, James Keenan um, still, uh, you know, parts unknown. Um, and we, you know, we've kind of seen that Queens running machine get slowed down a little bit. I mean... Nate and I were kind of joking or Nate was joking about it and I was joking that he was even remotely joking about it that York seemingly slowed down Anthony Souls a little bit and then we saw your McMaster Marauders really um, give them fits last week and that was coming off the bye week and we you know we saw um, Alex Vreken show a bit of his age and youth uh, against a McMaster team and that d- defensively is is up there with you know pro- top three top four defense in the league, and and yeah so uh, you know I love this matchup for so many reasons obviously the playoff implications huge and this is also a a glimpse into the future of possible Yates Cup battles or OUA MVP battles between one Taylor Elgersma and one Alex Vreken that is just you know. Beyond all the implications of this 2022 season, this is one of those things where this is like, this is like Bird and Magic facing off in the 79 NCAA championship, NCAA State, Michigan State, 
pardon me, Indiana State, Michigan State, and then being like, oh, yeah, we're about to watch this in the NBA for the next, like, decade and a half. This is kind of what this feels like. Um, and I, I, I can't wait. And, and I get to listen to you and Jack. Holy cats. Uh, Tom, no doubt you've been doing more prep on this game, perhaps, than you normally prep for in uh, when we normally do these pods. So let me uh, hand it over to you. Yeah, um, this is a very exciting game, and I'm very much looking forward to to watching this and calling this myself. Um, two teams that, while both picking up wins last week, definitely struggled, which I was very surprised to see in both cases. You know, without all of the issues that Guelph has had this year, I was really expecting that Laurier team to really establish themselves and you know, especially run all over them. And now they did finish with 283 rushing yards for sure. But, you know, we saw a lot of turnovers from this Laurier squad. Taylor Elgersma throws two picks. Quinton Scott uh, makes a fumble. And uh, Guelph, you know, for all of the issues that they had, were able to capitalize on that. And at one point they were we, they were winning. You know, they the first quarter happens and uh, Laurier comes out and it's 14 nothing, And then Guelph has 18 points unanswered and going into halftime, it's 18 to 14 for Guelph. And you're like, I was wide eyed staring at the screen being like, could Guelph pull this off? And then Laurie established themselves. They made less mistakes in the second half and, and kind of got into it a little bit more, but like very uncharacteristic from the squad here. And they almost limped to a win. And then you go on the other side of it and you look at Queens McMaster had a chance to win the game. They had the ball in the 50-yard line with about 53 seconds left in the game. Very doable. Now, unfortunately, McMaster's Achilles heel kind of happened, and you saw Queens uh, dominate the, uh, the line of scrimmage, get a couple sacks, push them out of field goal range, and then suddenly the game is over from there. But like, there was one point if McMaster, if Duick doesn't throw a pick six, suddenly they, they win that game. Because Queens started on their own uh, on the McMaster thirty yard line and they were able to go in, so lots of questions for both of these teams, specifically on the Gale side of things. Now we've seen Alex Vreekin against the York squad, and we know York is you know very poor in, in this this league for sure. But against McMaster, finished with just hundred yards on nine completions after twenty five attempts. You know that's. That's a pretty significant drop-off to what he had against York with a bye week. Now, like we've said, this McMaster defense is outstanding for sure, but, you know, has the majesty or the magic of the uh, young phenom kind of been worn away by this McMaster defense and is now Laurier dissecting everything in there saying, hey, you know what, we can beat these guys. And I think it's worth also throwing in the fact that his first action we saw was against a, a very um, moving the ballable on uh, Guelph defense. So, and I don't want mean to take anything away from him. I mean, I love when you were talking about just the folks you know around the league kind of praising um, Vrenik, who e- people not even in that Queens locker room, right? People recognize the talent. And once again, this is just as far as the sort of big picture, um, thinking about the next however many years we'll get to be we'll be covering this league with these uh two quarterbacks and I'll go to that other quarterback in a moment um Vreekin Vreekin's a dude for sure mm-hmm. um now the other dude on the side of the ledger is one Taylor Elgersma and, and you know you talked about some of those struggles against Guelph um which I mean last week was was weird man it was a weird game and you broke I mean you did a great job of breaking that down and a couple you know you talked about you know, pick sixes of course that was a big story in that Guelph game as well kind of helping them back into it did Laurier perhaps get off to that 14 oh nothing a 14 nothing uh Lee and they're like oh my god like Guelph is bad and then you know maybe put their guard down a little bit but going up against a, a Queens team where you know hey I I Quentin Scott this year, phenomenal. I mean, maybe we'll do a breakdown of top guys by position um, at some point, whether it's for that 
uh, particular podcasts uh, recapping the, the the season next week or as some off-season content. But Quentin Scott is is up there for sure. Now, when we look at this Queen's defense um, and, and, and Laurier on the offensive front where, you know, hey, their O-line has done a good job this year. They've done a pretty good job protecting Algersma. You know, obviously you can't have the production that Scott's had without opening holes up for him. But Queen's being able to, to shut down run games is 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 you know as good as anything else they do and you know but i think about some of those injuries that they've been having more so in that secondary in that linebacking core a little bit and ken elgersma with you know the ethan jordan's ben mcalpines getting taron elms out of the backfield you know is this a moment where we really see his ascension as you know, a, a future MVP candidate in this league guy who's going to be leading Laurier, you know, on Yates Cups runs. And, you know, obviously put away last week just quickly. And, you know, they still put up 38 points at the end of the day, you know, 43 against that Waterloo team, 49 against wins of the week previous to that, um, you know, 32 against York, just as far as some of their bigger uh, offensive outputs, right? And and what I love about Laurier is, save for a bit of a hiccup against Guelph last week, they've been getting better and better and better, all leading into this matchup. However, this Queens team, you know, we talked about, you know, maybe seeing a few hiccups of their own in the run game in some of the recent weeks, but this Queens team runs the ball. And, you know, that offensive line they have, oh baby, they are sharp. And you know whether it's Souls, whether it's uh, Yan, whether it's you know freaking thirteenth man, uh, you know Joe Bag of Donuts out of the stands running for them because they just pull guys to run the ball for them and they get yards, save for a few odd outings. I think they'll be able to run uh, pretty effectively. I mean, I, we've talked about you know, Luke Brubacher and. Um, some of the other guys in that front seven for Laurie that have made them really formidable. And that's going to be a very fun matchup to watch. Um, But I think Queens is going to be able to control this game in the trenches and I'll take them on the road to, to shore up the at least third spot and possibly second spot, because I'd assume if only them and them and Ottawa have six and two um, uh, records, then they get the, the second spot as winning the head to head because apparently head-to-heads only matter if your record is 6-2 and two, um, and y- your name's not Western. So um, I-, I expect Queens to take care of business and, and secure that spot. Um, where are you leaning with this matchup? Or are you-, are, you allowed- are you allowed to make a pick if you're calling this game? Is that like... Yeah, I was, I was questioning that. I'm not entirely sure if I, if I am allowed to. Uh, if I'm not, then we can always just edit it out right here. But... For the time being, at the very least, I will make a pick just to see if uh, uh, if it's not unprofessional by any means. But I agree with you. I think the Queens Gales are a very complete team, even with a rookie quarterback. I think that offensive line continues to get better and better. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they come away with this one. Even if Alex Vreekin shows once again that he is a rookie quarterback and maybe doesn't make the best decisions or whatever else, I think they really lean on the running game that they have that has been so dynamic for them with Yan Longa and Anthony Souls and even Alex Vreekin who's able to, to run with it himself if he doesn't see something. Um, I think the rushing attack is going to be the most important part of this Queens-Laurier game and whoever can win the battle on the ground, specifically with who can rush better is going to win this game, and I think that's going to be Queens. Tom, could how could you have possibly said that? That is atrocious and just awful to say on a podcast. I'm just putting that in in the event that I cut out whatever you just put in there, <laughs> given that you set up that we might take it out. Um, but now that I'm saying this, it's obviously spoiling any effect that may have had to begin with. Let's go to the next game. Uh, we're both on Queens in that pick. Oh, I shouldn't have said that either. Well, I guess I'll have to edit that out as well. Whoops. Sorry, Tom. You might get fired. Um, <laughs> our next 1 o'clock game. <laughs> UFT Blues heading down to Hamilton to take on uh, Tom's McMaster Marauders. Tom, you already set up the stakes uh, on the on the table for this one, and I know that uh, our our brother Nate Hobbs has been you know eyeballing this game for some time. You know, we talk about some of the young quarterbacks that we're already getting to see this week in that Queens Laurier matchup. 
obviously in this one it's it's a kind of it, you know, we get queen I, i'm all about the narratives this week right we get queens we get laurie we get this sort of like uh, uh future look into you know perhaps like a great battle for the next three or so years of oua quarterbacks and on this one we get you know kind of the old gunslinger like the 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 one last the story the one last job it's andreas do it coming back to finish you know f- finish what he he got started i mean he already won a yates cup so i mean he's got nothing to prove against this young quarterback in Kinsale Phillip um, for UFT, who we've seen be up and down, and the ups look spectacular and have really gotten uh, people, and you've said some really big things and made some really uh, big comparisons with him um, for just you know what we could see down the line. We've also seen Adam Williams have by far his best year rushing the ball for U of T and Lucas Stoiko is also um, getting to fill in at running back when, when Williams has been out, uh, I think it was the one game um, for U of T. However, U of T's offense seems to come and go with their opponent to a certain extent, particularly that running attack. You know, we first saw it break off against Carlton and that was just the most one of the, you know, that's going to be one of those moments if we if we do like a top 10 favorite moments from the year uft just rushing the dang ball against carlton at home on the was it a friday night i think it was a night game but you know the awesome moment um mm. them rushing the ball i'm trying to remember their other big rushing out uh, output game um uh, waterloo they ran the ball really effectively against um but against slightly more formidable defenses it just it hasn't always been there. Um, on the whole, I think we'll look back at this UFT season and you know maybe in the aggregate sort of be able to say, hey, a lot of good things in there. Um, but this is a McMaster defense that you know we, we talked about Ottawa and Western and Queens as these you know top top defenses, and I love what Laurie does defensively as well. Um, Mac is. I think you throw Mac into that mix and right there you have your top five defenses in this league in some form or fashion. And Max at home, uh, I've obviously extolled as a visiting play, former visiting player how tough it is to win games at Ron Joyce. We've kind of had some fun talking about literally how hard it is to win games at Ron Joyce. There is a ton on the table here. And, uh, you know, I, I can't really see anything but Mac just taking care of business at home. Yeah, I uh, I think we would have to go back and uh, do some real digging here and everything else, but I think it's fair to say that this McMaster team is the best 2-5 and five OUA team that there ever has been. Uh, I think that obviously they technically should be 3-4 and four or whatever mm-hmm. else, but uh, with a couple of bounces here and there, they very easily could have been uh, four and three, or maybe even five and two. Um, but you know, we can play the what if game, whatever else the fact of the matter is they are two and five. And I think a big part of that and something that I am nervous about seeing, especially getting into the playoffs is exactly what we saw with McMaster against Queens, where you see Andreas Duick, the star quarterback, the leader on the team, trying to do too much trying to force balls or trying to get gain huge amounts of yardage or whatever, trying to give sparks to their team when all he really needs to do is be the fantastic quarterback that he is and make smart decisions. You know, we talked a little bit about how devastating that interception was that gave Queens the ball on the McMaster 30 yard line and ended up setting up the uh, ultimately game winning touchdown. It was a bad, badly thrown ball and, you know, it just wasn't something that should have been, it wasn't a decision that I'm used to seeing Andreas Duick make, but with the struggles that they've had at the offensive line, with the struggles that they've had with establishing their rushing attack and everything. I mean, there's a reason why Andreas Duick at a, on a two and five team is still one of the top um, passers in the entire OUA. It's because that's all they've really been able to do, especially against these really good teams. When you start putting that extra pressure on Duick and he starts getting hit a lot and then you start getting into crunch time of the game and then it's, you know, oh, I need to I need to do something for my team. I need, you know what, I'll, I'll just force it to one of my guys and we'll see and mistakes happen. Is that going to be enough for Toronto to win? No, I don't think so. I think this game is a McMaster win in Ron Joyce. You know, we, uh, that, aura of Ron Joyce is diminished a little bit, especially with this, this year that has kind of happened, but it is still very much alive and well. I think McMaster 
takes care of business. They get the win against Toronto and limp into the playoffs, but hopefully they do it in the right way or else it might be a first round exit. You know, it's I, I, I find it very interesting you said, you know, limp into the playoffs because, you know, one of the things that we talked about recently is that max season that's kind of, you know, part of that two and five um, record. It's, it, in addition to that, it's been such an up and down year and it's been really hard for them to seemingly get that momentum. That was seemingly the the theme of I, last week's pod talking about teams getting hot at the right moment and you know they lose a tightly competitive a tightly contested game to start the season in Ottawa to Carlton week two you know they pick up that win at Mac but even when that was the win we were talking about kind of wanted to see you win with a bit more authority but then of course it gets forfeited and that becomes this whole to do and everyone's talking about it and that's you know a, a difficult pill to swallow then they lose that Home at Ottawa, and they you know they had a shot. That game was so similar when we look at that Queens game. Them having the shot at the end, and they came back. It was, but you know, n- not much going in the first half. But nonetheless, lose that game as well. Then okay, they get the big win at Waterloo, and you were you were you were um, you know bang on to say that hey, you know what? Put the Waterloo piece aside. We saw Max show what they can do. Opponent aside, they they are they, the, you know the things that can make them special are still all there. Then they get the bye week, and then that loss at home to Western. Now you're kind of coming down like, oh man, you would have liked to have seen a bit more life from that. Queens was able to put up a a, a, a little nice fight and a loss. Laurie put up a decent little fight uh, in, in a losing effort. We might see Ottawa put up a good fight in a losing effort and they go to Guelph, put down that beat down. And I would say, I, I would, I would, I would argue as well that despite the loss at Queens, more positives to gain from that as well. So I say all that in being that I think this is an opportunity in contrast to you saying maybe limp into the playoffs. I think they could really use this to catapult themselves a into a better first round matchup and B with a little mojo going. They have all this controversy of the year being like, Hey, we had to overcome that forfeit. We had to do this and that and da da da. But here we are. We gave Queens a run for their money. You know, people said the magic of Ron Joyce is dead and all that. So I think this is a huge (laughs) opportunity for them to uh, really, just as we said i'll go back to that word momentum and just hit the playoffs with that uh with that mojo going but let's uh let's transition now down highway six to a game that is uh of of perhaps less intrigue in the playoff standings if if i if i'm correct um but i know you have some interesting thoughts on how this might play out based on just how these teams are currently situated. That is, of course, the Carlton Ravens traveling to Guelph to take on the, uh, you know, off-season bound Griffins once this one wraps up. This is a game where, and this is going to be my main commentary I make when we go into our final game of the week, which is that, hey, Carlton, just take care of your dang business and win this effing game. Same kind of situation. It's it's amazing how often I'm, I feel like we're making these parallels with with Mac and with Carlton because I feel like same situation. Took care of your business against Waterloo. Had the bye week before then. You know the Panda wasn't all that great, and and pretty much everything prior to bye week was this whole like, hey, even when you were winning games, we're still kind of not sure uh, how good you really are. And I can't count the number of times me and Nate have joked about this team could just somehow go on a miracle. Yates Cup run, and we still be like, I don't know how good they really are. Hey, you took care of business at home against Waterloo. Good for you. Guelph's not that much better. Though it is in Guelph, take care of your business and secure, I believe, the win secures them. No, sorry. I guess there's no opportunity for them to get a home playoff game, I don't believe. But nonetheless, um, just leave yourself out of a perhaps tougher matchup even though whoever you get in those top three seeds is anything but uh an easy matchup but nonetheless take care of business hit the playoffs with some momentum Taryn young looked really good against waterloo uh kasim ferdinand um, has shown when he's in that game that offense really gets going they're playing a team that just about every team in the OUA has run the ball in let's get josh ferguson over a hundred dang yards please and you know what Shaheem Charles Brown get after the quarterback whichever quarterback that might be and you know some of those ballers in the secondary make some plays and just get this win Tom you have well I don't know if you necessarily see the game differently from those components but I think narratively you're kind of seeing a possible well you 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 look you see this through a slightly different lens than I do though right 
Yes, for sure. There's a couple of different factors that uh, has really influenced my decision here. Uh, and for those who are hanging on the edge of their seats wondering, I am going with the Guelph Griffins in this one. Two main reasons. First and foremost, Guelph has nothing to lose. They have a few seniors on the team. They're going to do whatever it takes to try to get a final win for them at their final home game. They have hit effort. They're going to break that same proverbial glass that you were talking about and saying, hey, let's throw every single thing that we have at the wall at these Carlton Ravens and see what sticks, see what happens. <laughs> do we see four different quarterbacks for Guelph? I don't know. It could happen. If somebody's playing really well, he could go in, he could do this. I think that Guelph is going to just do whatever it possibly takes in order to win this last game and just find some kind of positivity for the, the remainder of, well, for the last part of this year and going into next year and trying to recruit and just get a whole lot better than what you were this year. The second part of that is that every single week, it's the same narrative between the two of us. Hey, Carlton, put together a full game. Hey, Carlton, put together a full game. And you know what? I'm sick of it. So Carlton is not going to put together a full game. They're going to lose this one. It's going to slip through their fingers, and Guelph is going to come away with the victory here. They finish. Tanner DeYoung, like you said, the offense did a really great job against Waterloo. 395 yards of total offense. Guess what? Waterloo had 365 yards of total offense. They were damn near close, even though that score may not have been as indicative. Waterloo at any given point was still in this game. They did not, Carlton did not put them away. And because of that, and because Guelph has hit F it, we just want to win. I'm going with the Griffins. Waterloo's kind of fun to watch, though, eh? That offense. It is so like much just, fun to watch. It's just Nolan Caban just hucking that ball out there. And, hey, you know what? Sometimes we'll hit them, sometimes we won't. Let's get next to the ball. Let's get run a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're talking a lot of metaphor this week in, in sort of because it's a lot of narrative, I think, we're discussing in these games. Not that we don't always do that. Um, I will just say, though, because, yes, I'm as a, obviously, I'm going with Carlton. Take care of your business on the road. Um, if, if that you know proverbial glass for Quelf is still intact, that's as big of an indictment on that program as anything because that glass should have been broken about halfway through the season. So the fact that you're thinking that they haven't broken into that, like holy crap, we need to pull something out of uh, out of our sleeve or rabbits out of the hat. If they haven't already broken that glass, then it's worse than I thought at Guelph. Um, any last words on this one, Tom? That's a hell of a way to to look at it once uh, as well. But yeah, I think at the very least, this is the best effort from the Griffins. And uh, Carlton doesn't put them away. They, they stay in the game and they win. That's what I'm saying. I, 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 and it, it's not, um, it is not out of the realm of possibility that that happens. Um, and you know, maybe it's still in some Carlton Ravens minds that playoff game from two, three years ago, the mm -hmm. blocked punt by uh, uh, Harrison Bagiogo, then returned it, I think, himself for the touchdown um, in a game that ultimately Carlton was beating them thoroughly in. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing. There's, there's so many magical playoff moments at, uh, at Alumni Stadium for the Griffins. And, well, but this isn't a playoff game. But anyways, that'll take us to our final game of Oh, of the OUA season. <laughs> the regular season, but oh my God. Those words just coming out of my mouth just took me for, oh goodness gracious. Um, and that is the Waterloo Warriors on the road to take on the Windsor Lancers. Um, as I already said, talking about the Carlton game, my, you know, the simple narrative is, is well, quite simply, Windsor, take care of your business. Um, obviously, we've seen Danny Skelton um, come out of a few games this year. And of course, most recently in that outing, against Western and for Waterloo as I already said I mean they're, they're they're low key when they have an opponent that's you know not all world um they're, they're just kind of fun to watch like offensively you know they're 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 kind of fun and also you know what these two teams I don't know if it's the W's in the names but oh, even going back to the Trey Ford era oftentimes you see kind of competitive games between these two squads um we talked about already J.P. Simonkinda having the opportunity to put his stamp on OUA MVP, perhaps, with uh, a performance, uh, even perhaps in a loss, against uh, a Western on Saturday. 
question I'll start off with. Does Joey Zorn need to do anything of particular note in this game to secure a, a, a rookie of the year? Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Do we want to even uh, toy with that discussion right now? Or No, I think it's, it's a valid question to kind of bring up because while Joey Zorn may not have been the most uh, consistent with certain things, like we see, you know, I guess the Guelph team who obviously had a lot of issues with the, uh, stopping the run, he goes off for 200 some odd yards and things and then kind of, peters off and gets a 60-yard game here and an 80-yard game here and things of that nature, I think his impact that he has on that Windsor offense is enough to vault him into that OUA Rookie of the Year because if Joey Zorn is not Joey Zorn and at the very least forcing teams to account for him, then Windsor is, is, does not do as well as they have in this, in this season. Now they are, what, three and four? So it's not exactly like the greatest thing, but it's still – you know, three extra wins that we weren't sure that they were going to get at some at, at certain points here. So I think that Joey Zorn, you know, getting into things a little a little soon here, we are going to do a, another podcast to kind of break down everything else here. But I think Joey Zorn does have that kind of locked up. And, you know, something to note, obviously the Western score, the final score is 50 to 18. But going into the fourth quarter, the score is 25 to 18 for Western. Windsor is right at their heels it was only into in the fourth quarter when um western exploded for an additional 25 extra unanswered points they, they were able to distance themselves here but for the entirety of that game windsor was right there they needed to convert and they needed to you know once again we get into that same conversation of you can't just settle for field goals against western you need to convert and get at, into touchdowns and you know they they did that quite a bit but they were right there if a couple extra bounces here and there, the Windsor Lancers could have upset the number one team in the country. Now, Western did what Western does, and they, uh, you know, established themselves in that fourth quarter. Evan Hillock went off and whatever else, but don't overlook Windsor. I think they, they still have a lot of talent. Now, we'll see who is starting in a quarterback because I think that does make a drastic difference, but I'm still going Lancers to win this one. Oh, and and I am as well. Um, the kind of take care of business narrative, if anything, is more is is is, is paramount in this game more so for Carlton because as we said for Carlton, at the end of the day, yeah, I know, I, I think I misspoke or I, the the idea of them even poss- possibly getting a home playoff game, I I don't think that exists. So at the end of the day, for Carlton, you know, I, they're in the playoffs, get that momentum. But f- as you already highlighted with those playoff scenarios, though I perhaps disagree with the math, even though I guess maybe you factor in Mac losing to York only by one. Okay. So maybe it still makes sense. Yeah. Their playoff lives are still on, on the line here. And you talked about that momentum that a team like Mac is able to take from a loss at Queens. As you highlighted Windsor being able to stay in tight against Western, although at times an uncharacteristically high penalized time penalized game for, for Western, which, Definitely helped uh, Windsor in a few of, well, in that scoring drive they had in the third quarter. Um, I mean, this is a Windsor team in their own right, who is, I think, the most penalized team in the OUA. But nonetheless, that's very much a game that you can draw momentum out of a loss. You're able to say we were in it with the champs through three quarters and change, get this win at home, secure that playoff spot. And then, I don't know, I mean, we're looking at a possible Windsor maybe at Ottawa at Laurier at Queens. I mean, none of those matchups really uh, instill all that much. Well, I mean, I guess people can look back to week one against Ottawa, but I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like these are kind of two different teams when we look down all these years, uh, all these weeks later, years, goodness gracious, um, sort of how these teams have evolved and uh, the the sort of the shape that they have taken. Um, For Waterloo, uh, you know, we've talked about some of these backs. Anthony Miller, Nick Sua. We've talked about uh, Nolan Caban and, and what he's been able to do. I I don't have the eligibility or years in front of us, but you know, if if this game seems to be uh, the least sexy, perhaps of the week, um, this may very well be Gordon Lamb's last OUA game. Um, and if that does, if that's not meaningful for you, it, it should be. Uh, Gordon Lamb has been 
one of the best. Gordon Lamb has been one of the best wide receivers in the OUA for the last half decade. And he's obviously part of what made that Waterloo team so special with Tyler Janowski and, of course, number five. But if this game, if you felt like this was the one you could leave off your radar, and maybe this seems silly if in you know a couple months' time it's like, oh, hey, Gordon's coming back for another year. Sweet. And I'll be more than happy if that's the case. I love Gordon. Um, but, you know, it's... Similar with, with Duick, and of course we'll get to see Duick in the playoffs, and I'm sure a number of other guys, Terry Young perhaps as well, guys kind of coming down to the end of their careers. You know what? It's 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 worthwhile to kind of be able to say, "Hey, I watched that last game." At least if you're you know for for, for the true diehards out there. Um, and then of course, really the baton if it hasn't literally been passed over, um, getting to see James Basiliga uh, now become the guy. And as we said, you know Tyler Ternowski to Gordon Lamb, to James Basiliga. And of course, the difference between who's throwing them the ball matters a ton. But that lineage over the last, you know, five, six years of star receivers at Waterloo um, is, you know, that's 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 super cool. And anyway, something, once again, kind of thinking a bit more narratively, big picture in the grand scheme of OUA football writ large is definitely something that I'm paying attention to in this game. Um I don't have too much else to say on it. Windsor, take care of your business. But Tom, any, any, any last notes, whether it's about sort of any of those things I opined on momentarily there or just any last notes from this game? Yeah. Uh, one note that I did want to bring up about this Waterloo squad, uh, exactly like you said with Gordon Lamb, potentially this being his last OUA uh, regular season game, I was so happy to see him go off against Carlton. 10 catches for 184 yards. That was much more like the Gordon land that we've seen in the Trey Ford era. Now, because he showed out as much, I'm sure he got, you know, he had double coverage a whole lot and that gave James Basiliga, you know, a great receiver in his own right, but that gave him a little bit more uh, room to do his own thing or whatever. It was just nice to see Gordon lamb go off and kind of remind everybody, Hey, I am one of the best receivers in this league for a reason. Uh, I'm hoping that, he goes off again, and I think, if anything, that'll inspire a little bit more uh, confidence that Nolan Caban has in Gordon Lamb, if there is any that needs to be there anymore, unless confidence is probably already up at the roof. Um, but I just think that there's not enough pieces in place here for this Waterloo team. Plus, making the drive down to Windsor is always difficult no matter who you are especially at a team that's struggling at the very least here to uh, really find their identity and everything else i'm picking the lancers uh joey zorn goes off and they come away with this one i'm in full agreement with you there and last thing i'll say uh on the gordon lamb front fifth year academic fifth year eligibility so very well is his last game in the oua just a quick trip down memory memory lane. First year, 2017-2018. Uh, played as in seven games, 23 receptions, 308 yards, and a touchdown. 2018-2019, those receiving yard, uh, receptions go up to 65, 853 yards, and five touchdowns. 2019-2020, 60 receptions, 769 yards total, and six touchdowns. Um, kind of a, it came down a little bit last year, and I think that's perhaps partly due to the ascension of James James Basiliga as well, but still netted himself three touchdowns on the 2021-2022 campaign. And of course, that was a six-game truncated season that we saw as well. And, you know, in the midst of that as well, was also a very formidable return man for them. And, uh, you know, picked up some hardware in terms of some uh, all-Canadian, I I don't know if he ever got first team, but some all-Canadian recognition. And of course, plenty of OUA, all OUA recognitions as well. So, um, hey, Gordon Lamb, we salute you, brother. Um, heck of a career you had, and uh, hopefully it's not the last time we see you playing football. Um, so we'll see what follows for for uh, number two as he progresses out of the black and gold. But I'd say, wow, um, I'm not even going to check the time we've run on this podcast, but I don't care because every second of it has been exhilarating because as we started off this podcast, I cannot recall there being, no, put away the last week of the season aspect of it, a weekend of any measure that's had this much impact on, uh, on, on OUA football affairs. Uh, Tom, 
I cannot wait to hear and maybe see your face. Do you know if you're getting any on-camera looks? As far as I know, no. I think it's just going to be here. Well, I can't wait to hear your dulcet tones on the broadcast along with the uh, the one and only Jack Moore. Hey, to, 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 you know, OUA, uh, people doing... Oh yeah, broadcast. I'm, you know, I'm available too. I'm in the London area if you ever need a guy as well. But you know, that's besides the point. Uh, this is this is the weekend of Tom Sterling on the Laurier broadcast. Um, hey, you know what? I've been doing it for for four years, splitting my screen on four games going at the same time. Uh, if you haven't been doing the same, this is the weekend to do it because these games from start to finish are are going to be pure madness. Um, and the OUA football Twitter sphere is going to be. It's going to be no man's land. It's going to be the wild, wild west. It is going to be absolute insanity. So I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to be podcast with Nate about it on Monday. We'll do our season recap next Wednesday. But come Monday, you'll be hearing from Nate and I, and I'll talk to you then at the 55. Ooh, doggy.